This is Jeff Moy, and you're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to the Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have Mike. What's up? We also have Curtis. Oh, yeah. Keeping us together, we have CBS. Sky's the limit. Space is the place. Also featuring Rob. Hi. Thought we were going with the Macho Man theme. I don't know. If oh. It worked with Mike. No, it's all right. Snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> That's better. All right. All right. Mike Nevin. All right. Okay. Oh yeah. No. Sure. With like well, like Kool Aid Man. No. All right. <laughs> Bone saw McGraw. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, so uh, today we're doing Mortal Kombat X number one, then Ant- Ant-Man number one, Star Wars number one, Star Wars from Marvel number one, then Grayson number six, and Conan Red Sonia number one. Dark Horse Comics. That's the truth. All right. Uh, so let's uh, do a little run through of the news with just the dog pound, I guess. What is what episode is this? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, episode. Oh, today we're doing episode number forty-nine. <laughs> <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, so then now let's run through the news with the dog pound. Damn it! <laughs> I guess. Since Ross isn't here to keep things on a leash. Right? No? Almost, okay. Well, in the, in the little clip there, it doesn't sound like he's got too good of a hold on it. No, the man doesn't control a damn thing. No. Not at all. He just shakes his head and says yes. <laughs> and they do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Mike, what happened this weekend? I don't know about this weekend, but well, the previous week we had we had something happening in comics. What was that? The Image Expo. Oh, we're, we're all right. Image Expo. So we they, we learned about a bunch of books there. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, uh, quite a few actually. Uh, they announced uh, AD After Death, a uh, graphic novel book done by Scott Snyder with art by Jeff Lemire. Okay. Uh, two two talented guys, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Hey, we'll see. Jeff Lemire's uh, art is uh, uh, an acquired taste, I suppose. You know, I for me. I was questionable at best. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, don't get me wrong, Water Welder's just fine. And I, for what Like, like you said, Sweet Tooth is, you know, it, 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 the the Deer Boy made me feel sick. Lost Dogs was actually, but, it worked really well with Lost Dogs. Okay. Alright, and uh, what was after that? Uh, Black Road uh, mm. by Brian Wood and Gary Brown. It's going back to the Vikings. The Northlanders series yeah. he did. It's kind of like a follow-up. Yeah. Oh, the, nice. The post-pillage Vikings. That's cool. Well, that'll be good. I've never read really the good. Northlanders, but I've heard, pretty decent. I've heard it's good. I attempted. I attempted. It was pretty decent. Didn't like it. It was okay. It just gets derivative after a while. But. So um, have, after that, we have Heaven. Heaven. This is uh, James Robinson and Philip Tan. Yep. So nothing else that'll look amazing. 
Uh, it's supposed to be some billed as a religious satire. Right. Whatever that means. Uh, mankind being at war with God. So post-apocalyptic. So like a post-apocalyptic dogma? Oh. Hey. <laughs> there you go. Ah, that should be interesting. <laughs> um, nothing else will look great. Uh, then we have... Uh, I, I hate, hate Fairyland. Fairyland, yes. Sorry. Scotty Young and Jean-Francois Ballou. Man. Uh, I, I don't know about it. It's like yeah. a mix between Dr. Seuss and Looney Tunes. That's a that's a heck of a name. Right? Uh, yeah. Although I don't know where the axe comes in with Dr. Seuss or Looney Tunes. Yeah. The mushroom's a little... I Yeah, I don't know. And if Scotty Young's going to do his own thing, now's the time to do it while he can. That's a good point. Uh, after that, we have Island. Vivarious. Yeah, it's an anthology yeah, series. Yeah. I, they've tried an anthologies before, and like two, they don't do very well. Now they're comparing this to heavy metal with a broader target audience. How is that even possible? Meaning oh, everybody? Hey, me and the kids can buy it. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be what this book is. Anthologies just don't. There's some that are all right. It just depends on what it is. Yeah. Anyway. And then we have Captara, Chip Sadarsky, and Keegan McLeod. Right. It's supposed to be a science fiction, science fiction comedy series um, compared to Island of Dr. Moreau and Saga. Huh. Okay. That's about all they say about that. After that, it's the Ludocrats. Uh, yeah. Kieran Gillen, Jim Rossignol, David Lafuente, and Ricardo Venancio. Mm-hmm. Another lighthearted sci-fi series. It's a strange world is part of how they bill it. So. Yeah. But it doesn't really say a whole heck of a lot. Maybe you got Monsters. Monstrous. Oh, monstrous, my bad. Marjorie Liu and... Santa Takata. Santa Takata. That's a, that's a good Japanese. Some alternate universe version of ni- the 1920s uh, where giant monsters roam the landscape. And about a refugee girl who develops a psychic connection with one of them. <coughs> Excuse me. So it seems like, yeah, that could be possibly interesting. Yeah. And then we got No Mercy. Alex DeCampi oh. and Carla Speed McNeil. Yeah. Speed. Mm-hmm. It's a good name. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's about a group of teens who embark on a bus trip and become stranded on a mountain. That's it. <laughs> you know, there, there's got to be a horror tinge to it. Well, they all look scared in the picture, so. Well. You know. Well, they could be high. I don't know. It's possible too, I guess. Let's go on to the next one. I'm going to hear Mike say this name. Oh, Paper Girls? <laughs> Not that name. <laughs> oh. Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. Is that how you say it? Brian K. Vaughn. Chang? Chang. 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 Oh, well. Ching Chong. <laughs> Matthew Wilson. <laughs> We've got a piece in there. <laughs> K. Vaughn's from uh, Saga and from uh, uh, The Kids. Kid, Why Last Man? Can he do that one too? And the Runaways. And Runaways. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. We'll see. It'll take off. It's about a 12-year-old newspaper girl. It a might. few of them. It might. It might. Then um, we got Phonogram again. Family. The, the Immaterial Girl. Uh, well, phon- I don't know anything about Phonogram. Phonogram had run before, and I I didn't. I read like two issues of it, maybe. That's wasn't, a, that's, wasn't my bag. That's an actual... I mean, it's been done before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the final this volume. This is the final volume of the series. Oh, I guess I could have read. 
Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey and Matthew Wilson. And Plutonium is the next on the list? Plutona, Jeff Lemire, Amy Lennox, and Jordi Belair. It's a mini-series. It's kind of like a stand-by-me, only the body is a superhero. So, stand-by-me with a weird twist. All right. Uh, Then, Revengeance. Darwin Cook. Man, you know, they say that part of the... Part of the inspiration for it came from like uh, the Mike Hammer stories, and I love Mike Hammer. <sighs> so it makes me wonder if, this, if I'm going to like this or not. Well, with Darwin Cook's name on it, you know, it'll do well. Right. Well, that's true. It's only three issues. Right. It's a miniseries. That'll probably be, that'll help. Uh, we got Run, Love, Kill. That'd be by Eric Canetti and Jonathan Suey. So I would say. Suey Pig? <laughs> I don't, the pig is not part of that. Yes, name. people did say that. Oh, man. Well, that's how they called them back in the day. Well, they did. Far, yeah. It doesn't mean that the man's name. No, it's just Suey. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough of that, sir. Uh, then we got Savior, which is another, like, not a re. I guess it's not a reboot. It's like a continuation, I guess, from an older book. No. Isn't that, what, isn't that what we were talking about earlier? No, no, no. This is uh, by Brian Holgan, Todd McFarlane, and Clayton Crane. Huh. Uh, it's a new, a new series. series. What if okay. the most dangerous man on earth was also the one trying to do the most good? It's the tagline. Oh, Savior 27 is what I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. never mind. It, different company. It was, it was terrible. Uh, then we got Sons of the, Sons of the Devil. Plural. By Brian Bucciolato and mm-hmm. Tony Infante. Yeah, and apparently they started this thing out on Kickstarter, and I guess Brian the Bucciolato made a short film about it, or to help produce it maybe. Um, which I guess that thing's supposed to come out at some point. Um, the film is, uh, but I don't know. It might be interesting. I guess if you want to know more about it, I'd try to look it up on Kickstarter and see what the, what it said about it. Then we got the uh, Spawn. Resurrection number one. Mm-hmm. Paul Jenkins and John Boy Myers. Right. This is actually announced back in New York Comic Con, but... But that was Brian Wood supposed to be writing it. Yeah. He's since dropped out over creative differences. Huh. Which isn't... Whatever. I can't see him writing that anyway. Beyond the scope of it anyway. Yeah. Well, he decided he needed to write Starve right. instead, which is the next on our list. Starve. Brian Wood and... Dangel, Zeggy, and Dave Stewart. At least Stewart's got an easy name. That's good. Brian Wood's pretty hard. Right, well, <laughs> it's dude in the middle that gets all crazy. But it takes place in the future where celebrity chefs are treated as royalty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Let's see, what was after that? To... Tadema? Tadena? Yeah, yes. By Emmy, Emmy Lennox. It's an autobiographical graphic novel. Features watercolor paintings by Lennox and is teased as her, teased based on her trip to Japan with her mother. Huh. Again, huh? Okay. Yeah. Not every idea is a great idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, then I think the last one on there was uh, We Stand on Guard. Brian K. Vaughn again, and right. Steve uh, 
Scrosay? Scrosay. <laughs> okay. Scros? Uh, yeah, that's close, I think. It takes place 100, 100 years in the future uh, as a group of Canadian militia fighters battle an invading force of American soldiers and their giant... Robots. That's what it says. No. It says no. F star star star. That's what it says. I'm not going to say all that. It's just easier just to just go ahead no, and say it. It no, is what not. it is. I don't know. It takes your breath away. A lot more work for me. This is 2015, gentlemen. <sighs> I don't see how that makes any difference whatsoever. <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't. So that's basically Image Expo, I guess. Uh, was there any other news, comic book-wise, that you guys have any information on? The suicide Squad thing. Oh, what, what happened with that? Tom Hardy decided he was not going to play well with... Uh, no, evidently the movie that he's filming now is going too long or taking long. It was Mad Max? No, something else. I can't remember what it was. Mad Max is already gone. <clears throat> but it, it was going too long, so we bowed out of it, and they were looking at Jake Gyllenhaal to replace him. Huh. I don't know if that's a given, but... But either direction, we're losing Tom Hardy on the uh, Suicide Squad. Right. Okay. Well, it's worth noting. Which could be okay or bad depending on who you are I guess right well it depends on your love for Tom Hardy I guess did uh Rob you have some more combat uh some more more combat updates uh yeah there has been a few since uh since we last talked about it uh one of the big ones was the uh first off release of Kung Lao that was uh, originally done in a German magazine if I'm correct and then translated and shot over to America uh, along with that, they talked about the different factions that you'll be using on online, online play and the buildings of, um, I think it's up to three online towers, one that'll be changing daily, one that'll be changing hourly, and one that's a more uh, stationary kind of tower, and the fourth tower that'll eventually be being used for special events, so possibly holidays and so on. They also had, uh, on the second a big video dump release where they had action uh, videos of Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Kung Lao and uh, introducing Katana again into the MKX world. Right on. This is a fair amount of information they dumped. That's cool. Curtis, you got anything else over there? Uh, no, but there's probably been more that I'm missing. Right, no, that's understandable. It's, un it's understandable. We don't have Ross here to... Well, you know. He does, he does, like, but look at the internet. Keep us interneted. Yeah. Unfortunately, unavailable this time. Right. Um, so, let's go on and move into some books, maybe? Sure. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. All right. So, Rob, you want to wanna regale us with a tale of uh, Mortal Kombat X? <laughs> Um, it is important to note that if you are not a Mortal Kombat fan or you haven't played the Mortal Kombat games, this story does not give you any background into it at all. So it can be really hard to get into if you aren't already a part of the Mortal Kombat world. Um, I'm going to kind of just kind of give overviews of the story. There is 
a lot of good things and a lot of bad things about the book. Um, one of the really bad things is that it doesn't really give you an actual set point in time that the story is taking place. It's set in the Mortal Kombat X universe, so it can be anywhere between five years from Mortal Kombat 9 to 25 years. It mentions several times several years ago, but it never actually says what time period it's going to take place in, and it doesn't do a very good job of telling you when it bounces back to a current timeline. So, some of the big things we find out from this story is that Kenji has a illegitimate son that he winds up rescuing from the Red Dragons. In the process of doing so, we come across um, Scorpion, who has now come to terms with the vengeful spirit that he has become, and actually now lives a semblance of normal life. He's re-began his uh, clan of ninja, the uh, Shuriyu, I think it is, the Shuriyu. In doing so, Kenji actually leaves his son with Hanzo, or Scorpion, to be trained. Now, Hanzo's new clan of the Shuriyu is all people that were orphaned or their sole survivors left behind after the Outworld invasion, which happens in Mortal Kombat 3 and or, if you're playing Mortal Kombat 2011, first end of the game. In this, he's, he's trained up to eh, probably like mid-teens, and is befriended by another young assassin named Fox. Now, as we go through the story, we're introduced to a collection of daggers called the Kamadogu, which evidently are all cursed blades that Raiden has left around the world. Uh, one of the first ones that we are introduced to is with Sub-Zero, where Kano's managed to get it, and he winds up cutting Sub-Zero's face, leaving the, uh, the scar that we yeah, saw something that never went over in the games, right? Yeah, we just eventually had it. As Fox and Kenji's heir, or Kenji's son, like kind of train with each other, they kind of develop a kinship for one another as friends. And Hanzo, and or Scorpion, leaves him to be his new bodyguard. But we already see that Fox is starting to be spoken to by a, a detached, kind of ominous voice. In the, in the next few panels, that'll come to fruition as Raiden actually comes to visit Scorpion to warn him of the dangers of the Kamadogu and that there's a uh, demonic entity that has made its way into our dimension. Now the barriers between dimensions that used to be impregnable are also weakened because of the events of Mortal Kombat 3. In the end, Fox's mind becomes so polluted by this mysterious voice that it actually causes him to find the Kamadogu dagger cut off his own face, and then slaughter the rest of the Shiryu clan. Then holding Kenji's uh, son hostage, tries to force him into killing Scorpion for him. Meanwhile, Scorpion's trapped in his own mind, living the day that Sub-Zero supposedly killed this whole clan. In the end, this is revealed to be an illusion, as uh, the Sub-Zero breaks his character, asking Scorpion how it feels to have his whole family killed. This actually winds up awakening the wrathful spirit inside of Hanzo, making him be able to come out of the trance. Uh, both he and Kenji's heir wind up battling against Fox, and uh, ultimately Scorpion stabs Fox through the heart with the Kamadugu dagger. Actually, dagger, instead of killing him, starts regenerating his body, and we find out that whatever these daggers are, 
they all have something to do with Quan Chi. And before he can really say his last bit, uh, Kenji's disciple, or Kenji's son, winds up stabbing him through the throat and then cutting his head in two. Freaking crazy. Uh, the final portions of the, of the book are revealed with uh, Raiden having his own Kamadogu, which he uses to try to see this demon. And in the end, it causes him to be able to see all the different Earth combatants, along with several of the new characters that are going to be appearing in the Mortal Kombat X universe. So, ultimately, if you're already a fan of Mortal Kombat, and you've been playing the games, really, really neat story. If not, it's going to be a really tough grasp. Right on. And overall, like, score-wise, would you give it anything interesting enough, or...? I found it to be so, I would definitely give it a three and a half. I was really excited with it, read through it a couple of times. Right. But, once again, I'm very familiar with the Mortal Kombat world. Right. Right. Um, Mike, you read through Mortal Kombat X2. Yes, I did. Uh, issue 1. Uh, impressions? I or? played some of the older games. Right. I didn't play the most recent one, but uh, for me, the story bounced around a lot. I really didn't understand what was going on. The only thing I got from it is the kid's important. That's about it. Um, I would I, I would give it like maybe a one and a half for me because I really didn't understand it. And they did a terrible job of saying what was going on in the present and what was going on in the past because they just kept going to the past but they never put us back into a present. And I'm being generous. The art is on is really good. I mean, it looks... The art's it's, pat. Yeah, it's okay. It's a good, good looking book but <clears throat> if you can't understand it then yeah, it's understandable. Kurt? I was in the same boat with Mike. I haven't played a lot right. of Mortal Kombat. The stuff I know is from what I hear from Rob and uh, all the popular stuff. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'll give it maybe a two. It, I like Dexter Soy. And he's a great artist, and that's kind of what it draws your attention. He's very dynamic, so right. I'll probably give it a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really liked what he did with, with like the bandana that the kid is wearing all the time. Like, there's always cool things going on with the, mm-hmm. the air flow the comic. Right on. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it either, so uh, score-wise I can't really give it a score, but I did flip through it and look at it, and um, the art looks awesome. And I, I know some about Mortal Kombat, but again, I not probably not enough, you know? So I don't know, I guess we'll, we'll have to see if, if they're going to rely heavily on that or not, and how that does for the series. Just in general. I mean, every book requires you to have played every Mortal Kombat game, then what are you doing? Yeah, at least, at least the last one, I think, is probably a necessity. Like, you almost have to really have played through Mortal Kombat 2011, or just watch the cutscenes in the video or something. Right. So, yes, yeah, you could go to YouTube and watch the cutscenes, that'd probably explain it. But Makes sense. Still. Covers are awesome. I mean, they did the dual, uh, Ninjas and the cover looks great. It was actually I'm kind of glad these guys read it because I hadn't realized that it did such a poor job. Right. Because <laughs> I'm just you know I know that. I want to your thing, man. So makes sense. I can understand getting lost in it. All right. Um. Well, let's go ahead and move into. Uh, I don't remember what order we did them in the very beginning. Uh, you want to do Maybe some Star Wars? Uh, I think Ant Man was next. Let's do Ant-Man number one. Mr. Mike, you want to tell us about some Ant-Man? Yeah, I can say a little bit about it. 
right. shouldn't take too long, but uh, it's written by Nick Spencer. Nick Spencer. It's, it's mainly the whole story is he's doing an inner monologue. Right. And it, get, it does a it does a pretty good job of of telling his backstory, um, all that's happened to him, how he acquired the suit. Right. Um, we're dealing in in this story. We're basically dealing with uh, Scott Lang, the second right, the second Ant Man, and that he had stolen the suit and ended up being able to keep it. But at this point, he's uh, he's trying to find work, and he's basically. Uh, He's basically applying for a job with Stark. Right. Security job. And uh, he has some competition. Um, but he's doing this so that he can give his daughter a better life. And the ex-wife hates his guts. That's pretty evident. Right. And I don't know how with the whole thing with the daughter. She was dead. Now she's not. Yeah. I. I we were, I, we were I thinking no something in Axis might have fixed that. But I, I haven't finished Access, and I don't think Rob has either. So it's hard to say where exactly that's come from, or if this is supposed to be happening in the past. I'm not exactly sure the answer to that, because I, I don't know her coming back anywhere. But again, I haven't finished the most recent, like, big event thing, so... Right. It could be in there, I guess. Um, so he, uh, he gets, he gets uh, involved in the tryouts, and there are various other characters there. Um... And they get to the very last obstacle. None of them can do it. And he decides to play sick to try and buy himself some time. Right. So they call it off, going to pick up the next day. But he decides to take it upon himself to cheat and break into Stark's apartment to get the information he needs. Right. And as it turns out, that's what he was expected to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's how, and he gets the job. But as it turns out, the wife and daughter are moving anyway. Right. So it doesn't go too terribly well there. Right. So I think he decides to uh, forget the job and stow away with them to Miami. So that's kind of where it ended. But, I mean, the, the whole inner monologue part, it was pretty cool how they did it. He was able to tell his entire history. It was pretty cool. He's a pretty good description of, of who Scott Lane is supposed to be. Right. Talked about his time with... Uh, the Fantastic Four and right. Avengers, and so I mean, it, it did pretty well-rounded history. Yeah, I think they laid it out pretty. pretty and how again, he was good. dead at one point. I don't know about that either. Yeah. Which they touched on, but they didn't really explain. Hmm. So I don't think it really needs to be explained. I would rather they not. <laughs> almost every comic book character has died at one point or another. Major comic book character. Anymore, yeah. yeah. There's a very few of them that happen actually. Or it's thought to be dead. It was entertaining enough. Right. Um, how would you score wise uh, impressions? I'd give it a, I guess I'll be generous again, give it a three. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's just, you know, Ant-Man's not my thing. But right. For the for that story, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Right on. There it is. Well, as we all know, Nick Spencer wrote Superior Fields of Spider-Man. Right. And he brought the Beatle back into this story yep, as one of his uh, people he was competing against for the job. Right. So that in and of itself and how it played out with Stark in the end, very well done. And how she was not really playing Stark, but we know that she was. I'll give it a three. Three and a half. Hmm? It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I look forward to the next issue. Right. Yeah, I... 
So score wise for me, I, yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. I give it a three and a half. It was, it was pretty entertaining. Um, they gave a lot of background on R. Scott Lang, and made a lot of like kind of explained the whole idea of him having the suit and his reasoning for having the suit. And I like like we were talking about earlier, still not exactly sure where status or the daughter came back. And she seems younger also, and if it is something in Axis, then it's just because I haven't caught up to it yet, so maybe everybody else knows what's going on. But yeah, at this point, like last time I remember, she was still dead or with Kane the Conqueror. So, it, that part's a little weird for me, but it's just because I don't I don't know what's going on with it. The rest of the book is really great. Like, not that that part's bad, just I'm confused. But the rest of it, I mean, the art's pretty solid. I like how they play him out, and... I like maybe some of that Nick Spencer humor from Superior Foes. You can definitely feel part of that in this book, especially when he does the whole puking thing. Yeah, it, it's awesome. So yeah, I give it three and a half. I, I, I'm interested. I want to see the next book. Rob, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a three and a half as well. I felt like he was a little, a little dimmer than he was in like the FF. But other than that, like he really comes across really well as a character. I like the way they did the storyline. I I think this is going to be a great starting spot. So, be fun to see what they do with it. I I like Ant Man, so right. I'm kind of glad to see them do a new story with him. But I I was also lost about the daughter, but I haven't finished Axis yet. So right. But they don't even recall back to any other event. They don't mention her coming back from anything, which is the weird part. So I don't know. I don't actually know if Axis does anything with that or not. I just know I haven't finished it. And if you're going to do something at this point, what's happening with Doom? would be able to make sense of that, I guess. But she also seems younger, so I don't know if it's supposed to be prior to her death or if it's supposed to be... Like, nebulously, I don't know where it takes place. Mm. And so they, that part is the only piece that's really not explained, and I don't know if they're just like, well, forget about it and we'll just move forward. Or if at some point she's come back and it was in AI or something, Avengers AI, because I, I didn't read Avengers AI at all, so... Mm. That's my knowledge. And that was mostly Hank in there. It wasn't... Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't Scott, Scott Lang. Wasn't mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, as far as her return or how she came back, don't know. It is, is important to note, and I think we can all agree on this, Four ninety nine Marvel, come on. That's too much for a book. Knock it off. I agree it's going to be hard. I'll be hard-pressed to continue. Well, the next issue goes down to three ninety nine, but, yeah. But, yeah, it's still just the same, you know. It's a bigger book, too. It is. It is. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, um, so let's see, move on to Star Wars, number one from Marvel. And I, I'll give you, I was a little, uh, writer's Jason Aaron, uh, Cassie and uh, Martin do the art. And book-wise, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, actually. Like, it, it, was, it was fairly entertaining. I was a real big fan of Brian or of uh, yeah Brian Woods' run over at Dark Horse before the contract change, so I liked the time frame they picked. The same way I like that time frame he was using. Um, Story wise, it's it, it seems a lot like uh, I don't know. It's like further adventures of Han and Luke in space. Um, opening is very similar to New Hope because we start out on the belly of a ship, and we find out it's going to a planet to work on negotiations with uh, a faction of uh, Imperial soldiers there. And of course at this point we don't, once we get introduced to who's on the ship going down to negotiate, the ship door opens and out steps Han Solo. 
awesome. And he's greeted, of course, by the platoon and the, the garrison leader, and uh, the little shakedown happens between the two of them, putting a hand in his place, and he's he's written very well, like very much Han Solo. Anyway, they wind up going into the building, and uh, as they're talking about the negotiations, they're informed by the, uh, by the Imperial that there will be no negotiations. These are going to be the terms. You're waiting for the negotiator to show up. You will not bargain. And that's the end of it. So we find out the negotiator is not even there yet. There was one other thing. The uh, person that he's impersonating was supposed to be Jabba the Hutt. Well, no, he's 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 not. He they intercepted. We find out later they intercepted a ship that was one of the Hutt ships, whereas Han is known as a Jabba the Hutt pilot. Mm. So they basically took over the ship and replaced the would-be negotiator with Han and his group of people. So, yeah, it's pretty clever the way they set it up, and it harkens back to the idea of Han being a smuggler that worked for Jabba, which you only really get from, like, the extended universe stuff or, or the uh, the director cut version of things, because they originally cut those scenes out of the movies, and they put them back in later. So it's interesting that they touched that piece. That's pretty cool. We do wind up seeing Chewbacca very briefly outside, and we figure out that he's watching the building for Han and his group as they go in. Um, anyway, uh, fast forward a little bit forward, a little bit farther down, and we we wind up getting uh, Han deciding to spring the trap on him because they're, they're basically there to try to destroy the base. And we find out while they're talking, this is directly after the explosion of the Death Star, which they kind of give you in like a movie crawl at the beginning too to tell you that's definitely after New Hope, and that's a cool place for a book to take to uh, for a book to happen. In the process of doing all that, they wind up figuring out where the uh, the uh, what do you call that? The core, the power, power reactor. Yeah, the power reactor is in the in the base, and decide they're going to go blow it up. And the two guards with him pull off their masks, and we wind up finding out it's Luke and Leia. So they all kind of go off to take care of this power couplink, and in the process, we wind up having Luke sort of on his own for a minute, and he winds up finding a whole bunch of prisoners, like uh, alien prisoners, all being kept down in the basement, and uh, he of course won't let him stay there to die. So, uh, Luke sets upon freeing them, and then comes into a slave master, who, uh, whose hand he cuts off, which I thought was kind of poetic, considering everybody seems to lose a hand in this, Star Wars, just in general. But, uh, he basically tells the refugees to come with them if they want to live, and, uh, takes them upstairs to where Han and Leia are, and then we find out from Chewbacca that there's a ship approaching, and we find out that the negotiator that was coming... It's Vader, and that's not going to go well. So uh, Chewbacca asks, or Han tells Chewie not to shoot him because he doesn't want to alert everybody and they want to get out safe, where uh, Leia flips out and is like, no, 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 killing Vader is the most important thing. Take a shot, Chewie. And so Chewie tries to kill him, and Vader pretty well lays waste to that idea. Um, it's pretty, uh, it's very Star Wars-esque, the way it's done. It just shows how Vader doesn't care about anything, but protecting himself. He actually shields himself with two stormtrooper bodies. Right, which is pretty freaking awesome. So at that point, everybody, the base is alerted that, that someone, something's happening. So now they really gotta get out of there, and we find out that Reed Sepio's been watching the ship, and uh, it's been landed in a junk heap to hide it, and settlers from the planet have started disassembling it, which just means uh, it goes from hot water to hotter water. And then they decide they need to escape, 
And the most best way to do that is with an Imperial Walker. And that's pretty close to where we end. I mean, there's a few other pages of reveal and, like, something that we didn't see happen in the movie, save like, twice, that we're right at the cusp of. So, it's got some cool ending catches without giving away the whole book. I'm pretty entertained by it. Like, I, I liked it a lot, actually. I was pretty happy with it. There's a preview in the back of the book, too. They give a couple-page preview for the Vader book and a couple-page preview for the Princess Leia miniseries. Uh, the Princess Leia miniseries is going to be Terry and Rachel Dawson doing it, so it's going to look awesome. And uh, the Vader one, the book looks, the art looks pretty stellar for it, too. Uh, and that's also uh, Karen Gillan, so it should be pretty good, too. Anyway, overall, like I, I'm definitely interested in checking out the next book. Uh, Score-wise, I don't know, I give it a 4. I was pretty entertained by it. The art's pretty decent. Um, I do miss all the Dark Horse stuff, but I like what they're doing with it so far, so that's that's what I would give it. Uh, Rob? I, I'd give it a pretty high rating. I think probably about three and a half. Hey, you know what? I'll give it a four. I actually really liked a lot of the little things they did with it. Although it's taking place near the same time period that Brian Woods did, it's not on top of the same time period. No. And this doesn't really feel like it actually gets rid of anything that Brian Wood did. Now, I guess that they're using some of the extended universe stuff, but they're being like DC. They're not saying what they're keeping and what they're not keeping. One of the things that I really liked that was sneaky in this was when Luke tries to use his Jedi mind power on the slaver. Oh, right. And he tells him, well, these aren't the slaves you're looking for, and it just doesn't do anything at all. So I kind of like that they're still building that, and he's definitely not the Jedi that he'll be later on. Right on. Uh, Mr. Mike? Well, I try to compare that. I, I kind of compare it to the the last run for Dark Horse. Right, the Brian and I think stuff. I was a little more impressed with an issue one on that one, but maybe that's just because I was waiting for it for a long time. It was a heck of an issue. So. Yeah, the Brian Wood run was great. Uh, I'll give it a three and a half. I mean, it was still pretty good. and It may take a little time to to get rolling with it and see what happens. Right, right. It's Curtis. <clears throat> I didn't read it. You didn't read it? No. Curtis. Personal boycott. It's a it's an adventure terrific. Personal boycott. Is it because of the mouse monster? It's because yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's understandable. The mouse really causes problems. I was enjoying the Dark Horse stuff. I don't know why they had to rip it. Yeah. But you know what? They sold a million copies. Dark Horse never got close to it. Yeah. Which you know it's it's like Barry Allen. I don't know why. Mm. I have no idea. Just because it has the M on it doesn't make it any different than the Dark Horse logo. I mean, really, they've done great things in Dark Horse for years. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know why they don't. They didn't enjoy the same success, but I don't know. Because it's a new number one. <sighs> yeah, probably. Marvel, and they had 500 variant covers. Part of it, it, it those Marketing. numbers are yeah. straight up from like. Store store buying, retailer buying, and, and doing the store exclusive covers with Star Wars, smaller stores are willing to take the chance on the marketability of Star Wars. So, And when your goal to meet the requirement is buying 5,000 of your own store copy, whatever your variant is, and 500 of the regular book, uh, no wonder they sold a million. Yeah. I mean, no wonder. Well, and your average fan who goes into a comic book shop knows Marvel, knows DC, they're going to see the Marvel logo and be like, oh, I might be able to get on on this. 
Right, that's true. And with the new movies coming out, it's having that much more effect on it. Right. That's possible. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's funny, though. I've never really had people be too worried about the company with Star Wars. But this is the first time it's changed in forever. Yeah, 15, 20 years. And they made a lot of hype for it, so maybe it's their hype campaign that's really what made it be. Who's doing the art on this? Is it John Cassidy? Yeah. We'll see how long that lasts. Right. Yeah. He's not known for his tenure, really, but... Mm-hmm. He's been more of a uh, cover guy, but I, I do like his sequentials, so hopefully it continues. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like I said, I like to look at the book. Jason Aaron's a good writer. Like his his Wolverine stuff is good. His uh, Thor stuff was good. The Thor guy Thunder Series is awesome. His Punisher. So his yeah, his Punisher was really good. Uh, Scalped was really good. So like the dude's he's a good writer, not not just superhero stuff. So now he's going to play at the Star Wars world, which is. Pretty cool. I mean, he must be super jazzed, because I would be. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a cool thing and to be able to do. it's really a clean slate, because all you have in this continuity is the six movies. Right, and well, in the animated series, but that's that Clone count. Wars and then the new Rebels thing. That's canon from mm-hmm. Disney? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The six movies and then the animated Clone Wars and the current animated Rebels, which I've seen one episode of, and it was okay. Right. But didn't feel like a lot happened, but... Uh, you know, it's new, so... But yeah, those are the only things that are canon-canon. And it's possible some of the other stuff they might pick and choose, but so far, the only thing that's really been labeled as canon is the movies and the two animated series. Right. So, you're right, yeah, it's really a clean slate to work with, so... A little annoying, but at the same time, so far, it was good. It was interesting to see that they kept Luke in that weird gold jacket that he only had. I'm super happy by that, man. Like, the only time we ever see the dude in it is at the end of the first, at the end of the fourth movie. Yeah. First movie for the Old Testament. <laughs> but, and there, it looks like Taylor and Rachel Dodds are going to keep him in it, at least during part of the, part of the book, because the preview shows him in it, too, so. And that's the Leia book? Yeah. And they're going to be doing their own spinoff. The, Red the, One. Oh, right, yeah, from Image. So I wonder how that's going. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, Image is Red One. That's not a Star Wars-based thing, though. It's, it's No, but it's he's totally doing the separate. art. Yeah. And he's doing the art. It's yeah. hard to do two books right. in one month, depending on how far out they I are. wonder if they're already finished with Leia, to right. tell you the truth. No, I, that's what I was thinking, too. And yeah, then he moves on be. to his own. Yeah, that Red One looks really cool, too, actually. But Terry Rachel Dawson, they're team-wise, team even so... Even separate, like they, but they're awesome. They're really just art-wise, they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Red One looks really good. There's a couple other image books coming out that weren't Expo stuff that seem awesome. What's the that time traveling one coming out? Chrononauts. Yeah, awesome. Looks great. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so let's go ahead and move on to Red Sonia Conan. Red Sonia Conan, written by Gail Simone, Jim Zub, drawn by Dan Panosian, and with colors by Dave Stewart. Um, this one kind of reimages the whole connection between the two. They haven't met prior, it feels like, because they don't know each other. Um, I've been a huge Conan fan for the longest time and Red Sonja, but I fell off the Red Sonja wagon when they split from Dark Horse. Uh, this is kind of a... a I've tried some Red Sonja here and there. I just can't get into it because of the, the split between the two companies right? and them not being in the same area, so to speak. Right. Hyboria is a big place, but they have the same uh, city-states, the same countries, stuff like that. Um, 
huge fan of Jim Zub, as everybody knows. Right. So anything he writes, I usually try to jump on and give it time to uh, melt Film. into my brain. So, right. Uh, Gail Simone, take her or leave her. She's a, she's a good writer. Yeah, I'm She's a very fan. good writer. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't follow as much as I do Jim Zub. Right. Um, Dan Panosian used to be a lot more finished on his artwork, and now it seems a more sketchy artwork. But it still endears itself to actually this style of book. Right. And uh, Dave Stewart's colors are just, they're flat in this book. They're not, they don't really pop. But you can tell that uh, he's put thought into placement. Right. So it highlights certain aspects of it. Um, beginning of the book, we meet a cloak figure. And he's uh, uh, buying a share of land on this unnamed island. And he mentions it's for my master. We don't know who his master is. Right. Then we then we go to a splash page of a coliseum, and there's a tiger and a, a black panther fighting. Then there's an exposition over that, um, talking about two creatures that owe no allegiance to any government, religion, or anything like that. Kind of explaining. It's like a, it's like an intro of a movie explaining both right. Conan and Red Sonja. It, it's. Uh, it's displaying those two fighting, right. but it's describing the two uh, that we'll see in the book. So then we see this lord in the Colosseum speaking about the spectacle from the king to his son, and this is for his son, and that's why they're out there. And he's talking, and we see this red-headed uh, peasant girl, and uh, she evidently falls for his whims, and she's like, I have no food, I'm poor, of course I'm going to be here, because he can provide that all for her. So they're going into this castle at night. We cut to the night, and we see him walking up to the gate past the two guards, and uh, she kind of attacks him from behind. She's cloaked. And then we see, hey, it's Red Sonia. She says, where's the prince? He says, he's passed this way, but you'll never get through the garrison. And uh, so then we cut again to a different shot of the same gate, and this peasant walking up cloaked again. And they're like, go away, uh, feast in your own filth, stuff like that. Yeah, the guards basically tell him he, he's asking for he, he's, he's asking for entrance or for shelter. Yeah. And the guards are like, go dig a hole and eat your own filth. Yeah. And he's like, so I've, sa I've saved enough, I can pay. And he attacks the guards, and we find out that it is Conan. And uh, he makes his way, sneaks his way back to the prince's room right and there we see red sonia in front of the prince we don't know what happened to the garrison right we don't know how she dispatched we do see some bodies yeah prior to that but not a, yeah but we don't see the action so he gets in there and uh she's talking with him and it's like two people after the same bounty or something like that and she's standing beside the prince and conan gets tired of hearing him because he's calling for the guards and he just throws a, a dirk right at him, gets him right in the chest. Right. He dispatches the prince pretty, pretty handily. Right. So they get this box full of what they think is going to be jewels. Right. And they make off with it as the guards are after them. And they make off. They steal a horse, and they make off with it. So then they're in the forest. He's sleeping. We see Red Sonia creeping around in the dark. And... Uh, we we kind of know that she's going after the box. Right. So, evidently this startles Conan awake. And we see this gigantic splash page of their first battle. And right. it's sword against sword. 
and they pirouette and, and thrust and dodge and all the good stuff. And it's very well paced by Dan. Um, I think actually Red Sonia draws first blood on she his does. leg too. Yeah. And uh, as they're fighting, Conan comes to a truce with her because she calls him dog, and he's like, "My name is Conan." Right. And they come to a truce, and uh, they say they'll split whatever's in the box. So they open the box, and it's not what they think it's supposed to be. And we see this voice-off panel, and we find out that they've been hired to dispatch the prince to get the gold, or whatever's in the box, right? to get that. And uh, he mentions somebody that's familiar with, I believe it was Conan, the name is familiar, rings a bell with Conan, right? who's his master. And what's in the box is not jewels, it's something that's worse. Right. And that's kind of where... There's there's more to it, but that's kind of where we leave off. Right. Without spoiling the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the last couple pages gives more give you more of what was in the we, box. We do flash back to the island, and there's dead bodies. So, Everywhere, yeah. Uh, that, that harkens back to, <laughs> to what he was after, after he's been dispatched. Right. So, anyway, I love it. It's good sword and sorcery. Um, it's not what you think it's going to be. Uh, Dan Panosian does so well on it. And I'm usually, I'm a big fan of Dan's, but his artwork is different in this. Right. But it still lends itself to the book. It's not overly cartoony. It's not overly finished. Um, the writing's spot on for both of them. Gil's been writing Red Sonia for how long now? About a uh, year? Yeah, pretty, good, pretty close. What I read of it was really right. good. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't jumped on that boat. This makes me want to jump on that boat. Um, Score-wise... I'll give it, bring them back to the same area, although this is their first meeting again. Right. I'll give it a four and a half. It was oh. really good. It, it really wets the whistle for uh, your barbarism, sword and sorcery. Right. All the lovely filth that degenerates like me like. <laughs> so, <laughs> four, right? Now, which company is putting this one out? This is Dynamite and Dark Horse. It's okay. Cool. Interesting. Cool. Oh, yeah. Dynamite and Dark Horse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, co published by the two of them. Right on, um, yeah. I, you know, I I give it a four also. Like I I I'm a big Gail Simone fan, and Jim's I like just fine. Um, I like I like how this is supposed to be the first time they met, and I like how they're paying it, trying to be from the beginning. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty interesting the the weird magic stuff we get to see, and like how the two of them act so similar to each other. Mm -hmm. It's really pretty cool, and I I liked it a lot. I'm I'm a big Red Sonja fan. I like Conan. Um, I yeah, like, I like how he said, "I'll make you, I'll make you my queen." Right. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's like, says, "I'd like to see that." <laughs> I, I like that dynamic. He said that Perfect. before. Yeah. Right, and this was like the first meeting, so it's like, "Hey, let's do it all over again." Right. That so. was pretty cool. I, I like that too. Yeah, the, the catches they say between each other and the whole introduction part was pretty cool. And she still calls him a dog when she yep. rides off. When she leaves, she does. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's pretty cool. Um, Rob, you know, I, I'm really happy to see them make a combination title like this. I, it's really not something that's done very often. And usually when it is done, it's not done very well. So I'm really excited that it's done really well. <laughs> I give it a three and a half fantastic start to this book. So very strong, you know, working together for it. And, you know, I mean, Conan is one of the big things that Dark Horse has. 
So I'm glad to see them loaning that out so they could do this title. Right. Is it Mike? I grew up reading Conan Savage Sword and the, the Marvel Conan series, Red Sonja. Right. So I'm I'm all about that stuff. Mm. Uh, in fact, I've been wanting to go back and grab the compendiums of the old Savage Sword. Oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. I love those. Those are, and I still have a ton of the magazines. But uh, this is like something we've been waiting for. Well, people like myself, right? Maybe Curtis, been waiting for for a long time. And Gail Simone's involved, right? How can you go wrong? <laughs> uh, I give it a four and a half. Uh-huh. Easy. It's it's uh, it's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, it's really kind of an all-star cast. I mean, writer-wise, art-wise, and yeah, I'll give I'll give you. It's a little more sketchy. But I think that kind of lends itself to the style that a majority of Conan books have. Not it's, all of them are super polished. It's an older film. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And yeah. it does make you want to go jump back on that Red Sonja book because it well, it is good. Yeah, and, for sure. And I know Dark Horse has its own digital releases. It doesn't right. go through Comixology. And they've been releasing Dynamite books through the Dark Horse app. Really? Huh. So there's a there's a bigger connection between the two. I'll be damned. And I think that lend to this happening. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's cool. That's I didn't cool. realize that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, that's definitely cool. And... Yeah, dynamite is on there. Is but they're, they're yeah, still, I think both yeah, there. they're still part of the Robert E. Howard uh, library, so right. they give that to them too, which I think is cool. Yeah, I think it's mostly because I mean, whenever Conan's involved, I mean, that's uh, kind of part of it. Well, and the thing is, Robert E. Howard used the name Red Sonia, but it wasn't this Red Sonia. Right. She was introduced in comics. Damned. So. Huh. There was a different Red Sonia in the books. I think it was Cole introduced her. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe. Gosh, maybe yeah, I forgot Warren, about Cole. But I can't yeah. remember. But I know it wasn't the same Red Sonia. She was kind of a harlot back then, I believe. Right. And they intro- they reintroduced her under a new this name as this warrior. Huh. Well, I know that er- earlier on there was a bunch of marble Red Sonia. Oh, yeah. And so, like, property-wise, she's jumped around a little bit company-wise, too. Right. I mean, now the re- regular titles with Dynamite, so... And uh, I think that was Frank Thorne, if I recall. Oh, maybe. I don't brought, know that. Brought, it might have been Basim. I'm not certain. But. Yeah, I don't know that. But, yeah, there was, there was a couple different series they had, because they had just Red Sonja, then they did a mini-series. Well, it was, it was kind of ongoing, but it wasn't super long-lived, um, called Queen Sonja, and that one was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then we moved from there into, uh, there's been a couple mini-series, and right now the regular ongoing is the Gail Simone one, mm-hmm. and it really is pretty good. Like, it's been it's been pretty interesting. But, yeah, it's... It's a barbarian stuff, man. And it's, it's hard to keep digging the well. Right. You know what I mean? Sword of Sorcery has been done for so long. True. But so was every other story. Right. That's it's, good it's, point. it's just nice that it's still fresh. Right. And the whole splash splash page at the beginning with the. It's pretty impressive it, the way it set, starts to set up. It's movie movie esque. Exactly. It feels like you're watching a movie. The only thing you need is what's best in life. <laughs> I think it'd be a five. You know, five star I'd be surprised if we didn't wind up getting that at some point, just right. because of how everything else has been tailored. That'd be that'd be pretty cool if they did a. Did, and he looks like that. classic Conan. He does, you know. Yeah, the blue-eyed, <laughs> black-haired, sandal-wearing, Samarian, sullen yeah. brow. Sorry. No, I'll you're go good. On. I'll go on to Conan all day. What's up? What's up, Mike? Solidarity? I dig it. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Out of control. All right. So uh, let's go and move on to uh, DC Comics' Grayson. Rob? Yep. So Grayson number six, um, 
Actually, starts off as a little bit of a flashback because we go to an old story for Blackhawks number one, where we had this um, Eastern prison that had um, all kinds of like nanites roaming around it, all sorts of computer viruses and stuff. But um, Grayson and or Helena or whatever, well, have, yeah. have been sent there to try to get this brain. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of the brain right now. Sorry, it's all right. My brain's not working very great, so. <laughs> but there, what's that? Abby, someone? Yeah, no. It could be Abby, someone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as they're making their way up there, um, Grayson winds up saving her from what looked like a spike trap at first, only to be revealed as a killer whale with giant robot crab legs. It's freaking crazy. Sounds crazy. Yeah, it, it looks nuts. Yeah, it looks about as crazy as it sounds, then. Yeah. <laughs> she winds up shooting in the eye so that it can fall to its death in the water. They send it back to the sea so it can be free, Rob. Yep. So it can be free. Yep, it can be free like Willie. <laughs> in fact, even what Dick Grayson says. Okay. Let's get some chastise for making too many pop references. But uh, somebody's already tried to come in and claim the brain already. Mm -hmm. uh, a whole group of assassins uh, with cane tattooed on their hands. They wound up finding one of them that's still alive, and so they kind of start investigating him. But uh, little to our knowledge, the Midnighter is already there. He's been waiting behind a cloaked field to see who's going to come and try to steal this brain. Well, he's determined that it must have been um, Grayson and Magistrate. Uh -huh. Helena. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they don't want to let us forget that the Midnighter is not gay, so, you know, it makes a whole thing about, oh, I can't see your face, but I'll never forget that ass. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, yeah. It's like, oh, thanks, thanks. Well, yeah. You know, might be worried that we might forget. That we, okay, anyways, <laughs> continuing on, we actually find a little piece of a humanizing character for the leader of Spiral. In that, uh, evidently, not only does his face appear spirally to everybody else, it may appear spirally even to him, and that he's lost a certain amount of his identity as he took over Spiral. Right. Well, Helena starts questioning. She kind of moves into this Kane assassin's mind to look into uh, what brought him here and who may have already stolen the brain. And we kind of find out who um, Spiral is working with. And it's a collection of people that form their own kind of web out outside of this. Everybody's a mystery to each other. Yeah, it's pretty it's kind of pretty pretty bizarre, actually. But um, they have so much technology implanted with these people's minds that they can actually reach in and erase memories. Right. And so, uh, you know, we kind of kind of see how dangerous this spy game can be. While Helena's interrogating the guy, Grayson starts to see an anomaly. As he goes and investigates it, Midnighter jumps him and pulls him through a doorway back onto uh, what I'll later call the garden. Yeah, it's this, the whole doorway thing is a very uh, um, Stormwatch slash... What was, the, what was the other name for him before that? Authority. authority. It's a very authority thing, because the, the way they moved around through the universe was by opening doors in reality to jump between their mothership out. The garden, I believe, was part of the mothership, but now appears to be separate, maybe. 
so that whole doorway thing is a very uh, Stormwatch thing. If my memory serves me correctly as well, I think the garden was also where all the enhancements are done to Midnighter. They were, yeah. Um, I think that's even in the new Stormwatch stuff. I think so. Um, but Grayson and Midnighter fight, and basically the Midnighter is talking all kinds of junk about how he realized that that's who he was fighting, that he was fighting Nightwing, and so he researched him and learned all of his moves. And basically, Midnighter has like a computer for a brain, so anything that he's seen, he can replicate and counter. And so as he's talking to him, he's like, well, I guess, did you, uh, did you ever learn Robin's moves then? And actually, uh, before that, Midnighter basically equates his movements to jazz. And when he says, oh, well, you, did you ever uh, learn Robin? And he actually starts making a whole bunch of attacks and lands on him. It's like, it's kind of like punk rock music, and he's just kind of doing all these flips and double kicks and this and that. And then he decides he's going to use the spiral tech on him to kind of make him forget what he's been doing or what he's been seeing, and his eye starts bleeding. Well, we find out that the garden can evidently remove and replicate implants and uh, enhancements. And so the Midnighter actually winds up having Grayson's implant now. Meanwhile, we flash back to Helena, who's seeing what their plans are, which is basically they're going to use this brain to cause some kind of a mass attack. Kind of make their own version of a hate bomb. Yeah, terrorist stuff. Yeah, that they're going to use, uh, I think, in Israel, if I remember yeah. right. Once again, we see the thing that's infuriated me in this series, which is the wall of identities that the spiral agents have somehow cracked or almost cracked. Yeah, it drives me nuts. It makes me so mad. We continue the fight with Midnighter and Grayson, and it basically comes down to, uh, like, Midnighter's actually winning, which makes sense, because Midnighter's actually really enhanced. He's very yeah. souped up for a human. Super brutal, too. Like, this is, in general, that's the whole authority thing, is being brutal. He actually used the safe word that they had installed in his own sp spiral tech stuff. Right. Which actually causes, like, a, like a synaptic fire in his brain yeah, or something? Yeah, it makes your brain, like, pulse. It's a Grayson that says it, and he uses it against Midnighter, because it basically makes the implant fluctuate, which is how the spiral people will keep you in control. Yeah, and he basically uses it against the Midnighter. Yeah, which was enough to give him the upper hand. Which then he's met by this old lady, who we currently didn't know was there until then. Right. Who kind of takes him around and explains that, you know, this brain is going to be used for this attack, and the attack is going to cause all sorts of problems, but it may also cause the death of the garden. And so he's like, well, you got to send me back so I can stop this. And she's like, no, no, the only way that you can save it is by being here to save the garden. So we're kind of left, you know, kind of... One for what's going to happen. Kind of hanging. Yeah. So, like, the next issue is really going to be the big one for it, but there's a ton of really good fighting with Midnighter, and Midnighter's been kind of hanging around in the background of most of the issues of Grayson so far, so kind of a nice way to tie him back in, so it'll be neat to see where we go from here with that. Right. I wonder, could he take over the Midnighter's role rather than going back to being Nightwing? Oh, man. Oh, Wouldn't that be weird? That. that would be really bizarre. That, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think that's even something that they're thinking, yeah, but you never know. freaking... Yeah, man. I hope... I don't know. Midnighter's pretty badass, but I don't... Yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, Rob, score for book? Uh, you know what? Probably give it a two and a half. I liked the book really well. The artwork for it was great. Great confrontation with Midnighter. But I feel like um, it needs something else. Like it needs that second issue. I think to really push it to be a really great book. Mr. Mike? You know, I did not uh, get the opportunity to read that one. The L. Grayson? Okay. Yeah, so I really can't uh, score it. I mean, the issues I've read in the past have been pretty decent. Right. But it just hasn't really resonated with me. Sure. All right. I didn't read it either. Okay. I haven't read any of the Grayson issues. Oh, you haven't read any of them? Nope. Oh, I know that. Yeah, all it's, right. It's the spy thing. Oh, okay. Not your bag? Not mostly. Okay. Sometimes I'll throw something in there, but <laughs> usually not. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, I, I I give it a two and a half also. Like, the art's pretty good. Uh, the whole well thing at the beginning, the orca, is freaking crazy, man. And that was pretty awesome. Like, Grayson's very much still himself, the way he talks with Helena. He's very, uh, I mean, he's lighthearted, you know? He's kind of jokey and keeps things moving with his, I don't know, with, it's just like when he was Robin, no different no different than when he was Nightwing. It's like, all that's the same. It's weird without him in the suit still. But as far as, like, the fighting against, against Midnighter, getting the upper hand by using other things he's learned about or other abilities. I don't know, it's very... It's, I don't know, it's just like Nightwing, man. It's, it's, it's written to match, just no suit. Um, the garden thing, kind of... I, I'm curious what, what the deal with that is and how it's connected to this hate bomb thing. So, I, I don't know. Like you said, I think the two books together are probably stronger. But you have to have one to get the other one, so... Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I give it a two and a half also. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think that pretty well wraps books. I don't think we have any interviews to run, not that are set up at least. Um, you guys want to do some books to watch? Yes. Oh, God. Chrononauts. Looks awesome. Who's working on Chrononauts? I don't know. Mark Millar and Scott, Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy, yeah. Scott Murphy? Sean Murphy. I know. Uh, gosh dang. Heaven? Cluster? Some other sci-fi book that I can't remember, <laughs> and uh, whatever Rob says. I I ain't got anything, so <laughs> we'll go from there. <laughs> Man, yeah, oh, it's all right, all right, all right. Uh, Mr. Mike. Ah, uh, well, you know, same same as always. Black, Black science. Black science, best book on the stands. Um, <laughs> Deadly class. Revival. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, some Batman, Justice League. Right. What was that team up coming out? Oh, and Wolf, uh, what is it, Wolf Moon? Wolf yeah. Moon? Oh, yeah, that second issue was crazy. What was that team up, Steve? Team up. Help me out here. Uh. Hack slash Nailbiter? Oh, Hack slash Nailbiter, yeah. Yeah, that's a couple months out still, but yeah, it should be awesome. Thanks for the assist. I would, you know, I was trying to remember what we were talking about. Uh, for Ross, probably Afterlife with Archie. Right. Justice League. Which we should have our Afterlife with Archie back at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, I want to say issue eight. six finally going to come. Is it six? Is it eight? It's eight. Seven. I think it's eight. No, you're probably right. Because six supposed was. supposed to be on the 28th, so. Six was the Sabrina story, and then seven came out. I think it's eight. Okay. I can't remember the number, but I know it's supposed to be the end of the month, so. 
it'll be back. Um, I would give you Red 1. Uh, that's the we mentioned earlier. Because the art looks awesome. You know what that was? Huh. That was the cover to his art sketchbook. And then oh, yeah. made it into a, that's cool. a comic. Yeah, you're right. Evidently she's back in time. Time travel stuff that you like. Which is what I like. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like, I don't know, the same ones, same books that you mentioned earlier I'm, I'm into. I think, I kind of want to see this Southern's Cross, or Southern Cross. Yeah. I, w- I want to see it too. Is that Becky Clunan? Yeah. Uh, the, the couple paid, they have a little bit of a preview in the image, in the catalog right now. And the, the art's a little, it's not what I normally like, just because that grittier kind of stuff, a little simpler. But I, I don't know, it looks cool. And don't so. forget Southern Bastards, since you're talking Southern. Yeah, and it's bastards. A, it's a different kind of thing. I don't, I don't well, if you know, like uh, football, uh, you, right, okay. It's it's a football story, Isn't really. It kind of, yeah. Really, it is. Right. Twisted uh, one, but there's Invisible Republic, which I like the look of it. Oh too. yeah. It looks Gabriel pretty, Hardman and yeah. Karina Betchko. It look yeah, and uh, art cover Hardman's doing the art for it too. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks pretty interesting. Right, just just from the preview. He and her did that. Uh, Star Wars Legacy, the last one with Anna Solo. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't, re- I didn't realize that. Plus, there's another one coming out. Uh, this is also in the current catalog for Image. That's the, uh, it's Descender. And oh it's, yeah. It's yeah. It, that was Jeff yeah, Jeff Lemire, and yeah, Dustin Nguyen, and the couple of pages of preview of it look awesome too. Yeah. Like about a little robot boy, it looks like. And I guess robots are uh, illegal. Or something like that. I'm not totally sure. Like the little write-up doesn't give a whole lot, but it seems very much like the people he was with are all dead now, and that he is left alone. So I, it, it seems it looks pretty cool, and like I don't know, Lemire's a good writer. Like I could his art yeah, yeah, occasions, but Dustin Wynn's an awesome artist. I mean, he did the Little Gotham. He's done a whole bunch of variant covers for a bunch of different books. He did Batman. Did Batman for a while. Um, most recently, variant covers. He did the variants to the Uncanny X Men and to All New X Men. So, if, if you're looking for something recent, he's done those two covers. I'm going to mention um, another book that's off the way off the beaten path for okay. a certain someone in the room. Zombie Tramp. Check out <laughs> Zombie Tramp. <laughs> All right. Man, I think I got an issue with that somewhere. Yeah, I think it was from Asylum Press because it's moved publishers. Yeah, it has. Now it's with. Uh, oh, man. Danger Zone, or yeah, it's part of uh, <laughs> Action, Action Lab. Lab. Yeah, they put out a bunch of good books too. Good old Action Lab. Cody's all caught up with it. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. I think there's a new one of that actually next week. Well, what about your Puppet Master? I I do say look for Puppet Master. <laughs> also coming out from um, Action Lab, man. It's a guilty pleasure because I, it they're the some of the worst freaking movies ever. Skip the first one, just go to the second one, because the first one's really, really bad. <laughs> the second one's better. You know what? I don't think I've seen any of them. No? Oh, my gosh. I made Ross watch one of them. That's probably why he's not right anymore. <laughs> Was it the first one? With yeah. The, with the leech lady? With the leech lady, yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, you can skip that one. <laughs> it's really pretty gross. You get six shot in there, that's where it starts getting good. Yeah, that's true. That's what made the third movie. Rugger Howard's basically the little puppet with a knife on his hand. Because huh. that's what he looks like. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So, Puppet Master, watch for that book, too. I'm super excited for that. I shouldn't be, but it, I am. Surprisingly, Escape from New York has been pretty damn good. Right. Yeah, two issues of it are out. We were actually just talking to Movie Dave about that earlier today. 
Does he read that? Oh, yeah. What's he think? Um, so far, he missed number one because of me. How is that possible? Look, I don't know. Did he read number two? Uh, he went through it while he's here. Okay. He's pretty happy about it. He actually was talking to me the, like two or three days before it came out, mm -hmm. and he was super excited then. Right. And probably the month that it was listed in previews, he was super excited then, and somehow I managed to miss getting him the book. Huh. I don't know how I did that. Well, those books are packed with action. Yeah. You'll usually have about two books for that kind of action. Right. It was in one book, <laughs> and it was just surprising how good it was. Right. Yeah, I'd watch that one, too. All right. I think that's a uh, movie Dave approved. Yeah. It fits everything he likes. I'll give it five out of five movie Daves. All right. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. That's it. All right. Taki? Taki. Taki. Scissors. Hell no. Oh, Mike. He did it once. I know. Tiki. I know. Good enough. Taki. 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 Taki.